yeah, I'll just introduce you. And I will do a light trigger warning just before I introduce Laura that it's not going to be the main topic, but it'll be brushing a little bit on sexual assault. And mostly she's going to talk about how she's coped with that after some of the things that she's done as an adult. Uh, so I'm with here. I'm here with my friend Laura, and that's our topic today. So then I'll let you just share why you messaged me, why this is important to you. The goal is to, you know, to share awareness and to let victims know that, you know, that they're not alone and that there is help out there. So, okay, awesome. Yeah, that's a great goal. I've had a couple people message me with some of the, and I'm about to post another one, but some of the harder topics that I've, I've done on these podcasts that it's been really nice to hear someone else talk about it. So I'm sure that people will feel the same about this one. Yeah, thank yeah. you. So why is this such an important topic for you? Because I feel like that there can be a lot of shame when it comes to sexual abuse. And, and a lot of times it comes from within. And so the victims can carry the shame and we can blame ourselves for what happened. And it took me years, probably until my mid-20s, until I realized that it wasn't my fault. And, and I put shame, I put that shame in its place and I put it where it belongs, where it's not on me, it's, it's on that person. Did you always remember what happened to you or was there a moment that it kind of came back or how did that timeline um, go? Yeah, so it, it was always there and it was always in, in the back of my mind that you know something happened. But as I got older, I feel like those memories, um, they became more vivid. And so I just, I actually reached a point where I, um, <clears throat> I was extremely triggered. And so I, I knew that I needed to seek help. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, was, I was able to find that. And that was from therapy? Yes. It took me, a, I had to go through a couple of therapists because it just didn't feel like I was getting my, um, getting my, I didn't feel like I was getting heard and I didn't feel like my voice was, you know, was, you know, being heard. I wasn't able to get my point across. And so, you know, I'm just like, I feel this certain way. I don't know why, you know, and so I just, I needed help to kind of get to the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. And so I finally um, found a therapist who, um, cause I was dealing with other issues too. Not only, you know, was I dealing with these traumatic memories, but come to find out that um, I was also dealing with some post-traumatic stress. So some PTSD. Mm-hmm. And then I was also diagnosed with major anxiety disorder as well. Mm-hmm. So, and luckily, um, and there was also some depression too. And so, Fair. you know, so there was, there was a lot going on within me internally. Luckily, the majority of that is in remission. Okay. But, you know, I just, I needed outside help to help me figure it out because I had been doing a lot of research online and, and reading and, and just even talking with certain ones, you know, that I felt could understand. And, and I just, I still just was reaching a point where, you know, it was like, I, I need something more. I need any professional help. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So my experience with therapy has been mostly just like talking that's, um, I just did the part, I don't know if you've ever done this, where you hold like a vibrator in each hand and then they talk. Yeah. I just did that for the first time and I, I thought it was okay, but you, you follow the light. I didn't do that one. Okay. No, okay. it was, I forget exactly what she called it, but she would ask me questions when I had like the vibrator in each hand 
and then she would ask me like where I felt the anxiety in my body I honestly can't remember I just did it too but most of my therapy has been talking but you specifically did EDMR which I don't really know that much about so that's eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy um so it's to help to treat trauma and PTSD so post-traumatic stress disorder so it's designed to heal emotional distress from traumatic memories. So to really kind of explain that, how it works is when, the, when my therapist and I, we were talking, like we, we had come to the conclusion that I was dealing with some post-traumatic stress disorder. And so there's questions that they ask. And I had, I said yes to every single one, except for one. So therefore... Mm you know, what I was dealing with, it was, it was pretty high. Yeah. And, and I didn't realize that's what that, what I was dealing with was post-traumatic stress. And once we kind of, you know, navigating that, that's when I was like, wow, that's a light bulb. It makes sense that that's what that is. So my therapist, he explained to me that the brain is like a train track and it creates route routes or tracks and once you've experienced trauma, your brain always thinks it's in danger. And these memories often come back in mind too, but it's as a protection. But what the brain doesn't realize is that you're no longer in that situation. You're not around those people. So you don't need that protection. So the EMDR helps your brain to create new tracks or new routes. Okay. So, Interesting. Yeah. Because um, I think what you did was possibly a form of EMDR because when I did mine, I watched a light bar mm-hmm. and I had the vi- those vibrators in my hands. Oh, okay. In the moment, did you feel better or is it something that later you think about those memories again and they're not vivid? So in the moment, it was really hard. It was really okay. hard because you have to bring up these, these images mm-hmm. and, and it's really difficult to do. So, but... With saying that, though, is my therapist worked with me and we did not move forward with EMDR unless he felt that I was ready and could handle it. Mm, Okay. So after the fact, though, because I did this and I did all this in 2020, but now um, fast forward a few years, the memories, they're not as vivid. uh, They don't come, you know, like sometimes you have memories that come full forward. Mm-hmm. and and they're very vivid and these memories they're still there you know it still hurts right. um, but they're not as vivid did you choose a male therapist or was that just kind of assigned to you I I chose him mm-hmm. hmm. I think it was I had gone to therapy I had two others and they were female one one was helping me and but I was still like it's not enough like there's still something else that that's Mm -hmm. not connecting or something like that but but I did feel um that the male that I you know therapist that I chose just there was just something that he he was able to you know help me really work through and yeah yeah so how do you feel that sexual assault affected you as a person long term and how do you feel like it affects your view of men today? So I found it, it's really, it's difficult to trust people and to draw close to people. And the other thing I've noticed is I don't really like to be touched. It can be very overwhelming to me. 
sometimes even just a hug or too many hugs can feel overwhelming. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then the way it's affected how I view men today is it's, it's, it can be difficult for me to trust men and to, to build like friendships or, you know, or relationships. And, um, and I've noticed that I keep my distance because, you know, the trauma, you know, the EMDR has helped the trauma, but it's not fully disappeared, you know, so Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I can feel that sometimes men have ulterior motives and that's not with every man. And, and as an adult, you know, I, I realize like, okay, you know, I can kind of talk myself through it and just like, no, not every man has ulterior motives. And, you know, so I have to remind myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think hip therapy helped you like train that gut intuition a little bit more or do you feel like it trained like helped you train it less almost to stop being afraid so much yeah um I think it it helped me um to train to train more to to not be as afraid and you you kind of lose your sense of trust because then you're not sure who you can trust yeah and so it's it's safer to not trust anyone Mm, yeah if that makes sense so now you're married, you have kids, you have a daughter. How open are you with her about what happened to you? You know, this was actually a really good question because I was trying to remember, like, if I ever set my daughter down and, you know, or just even have like a casual, you know, conversation with her and, you know, tell her that, you know, about some, some of those traumatic experiences. And I, I could not remember. So I mm. don't know that I really... I don't know that she really knows what has happened to me, but if it were to come up and she were to ask, then, you know, I would be honest with her. Right. You know, as a mother, how do you protect your daughter from experiencing anything related to that? So what I've learned is small conversations more often is huge. It has a bigger impact. Hmm. We talk about setting boundaries and, and I discussed with her, um, you know, I, I did, we discuss like what, what do boundaries look like? And so I kind of give her scenarios, like what, um, what does a boundary look like if somebody's respecting her boundaries or what does it look like if somebody's not respecting your boundaries? I try to give her examples of like verbal and nonverbal because mm-hmm. you have verbal. And so that's more easily to, to see and to hear and you kind of know, but then you have the passive aggressive, which is nonverbal. So we we discuss that just scenarios and situations and so that's one and then and then you know then I talk to her about you know what do you do about it like if somebody is respecting your boundaries what do you do about that or if somebody isn't especially if they're not what do you do about it yeah so there's that and then um, the other big thing is um, I don't I don't force her to hug people if she doesn't want to Mm. because I tell her you know that's your body and. and so that's your choice. And sometimes at her age, like I noticed that she can be inconsistent hmm. where sometimes like she'll want hugs and sometimes she doesn't. And, and if I notice her, you know, saying that, no, she doesn't want to give somebody a hug. Then later on, you know, while we're at home or something, I, I ask her like, okay, so I noticed you, you didn't want to give that person a hug, you know, well, why not? And, and sometimes it's like, well, I just didn't want to, like, mm-hmm. okay, that's fine. And, um, and so, you know, it's a great opportunity for me to reinforce, you know, like, great, you set a boundary and yeah. good for you. So there's that. And then I also talked to her about um, manip- a little bit of manipulation as well, because you have some people that will say, oh, you're not going to give me a hug and you're going to make me feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> give me a hug. Yeah. And, 
you know, and, and it's like, and I know these people, like they have good intentions, you know, but you know, they're not, and they're not trying to manipulate, but you know, I, and I tell her like, you set a boundary, you stick with it Mm -hmm. and that's okay. If they feel bad, they feel bad. That's okay. So I do this because she needs to know that she has a voice and that her boundaries need to be respected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when she starts dating, you know, and if a man is mad at her for setting boundaries or, you know, or if he wants a hug and she says no, and then he's upset with her about that, then, you know, I'm sorry, that's a red flag. Yeah, that sounds like such good advice. That hug thing is mm-hmm. something I've heard, I think, three times in like the past month is doing these podcasts is really specific on hugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I had read an article on that like years ago and I, you know, I really was like, wow, like that, that makes a lot of sense. And so um, it's just something that I, I just have stuck with and just, I don't make them feel bad, you know, and that's awesome. Thank you. Do you feel like you're in a good place right now? Yeah, I, I do. And, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with my, my support system, you know, because even though I've gotten therapy and, um, and I'm not actually currently seeing a therapist because I, I feel like I've had enough issues addressed that um, it's really has helped. It's helped me to be able to move forward. And, um, and then especially with the EMDR, um, that too, I just, I have an amazing support system and, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't something that, you know, that you talk to everybody about because, you know, it's, it's a really tough subject, but, um, I do have like one to three people in my support group that I know I can go to if I'm having any kind of struggle. Mm-hmm. And um, and my sister is actually like the biggest supporter. So yeah. she's like, <laughs> a huge part of, of that, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, just talking with a therapist and to um, help me understand my trauma and um, why I react to certain ways or to certain situations, certain ways. That has been a real eye-opener. I've learned a lot about myself um, mm-hmm. just through therapy, you know, along with that, the EMDR and then the support system. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Is there anything specific that you would say to a victim of sexual abuse? Yes, I would like the victims to know that this is, it was not your fault. Yeah. Um, we can have a lot of self-blame where we think I could have stopped it. I could have done something differently. I could have done this. Like, you know, it is not your fault. You did not deserve for that to happen to you. And if you're feeling shame, it's not your shame to carry. It's the predators. Good. I'm glad to hear that. 